You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Good morning. Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. I'll give you a second to get there. I know that's not one of those books that you probably read every day in your Bibles. It's in the minor prophets. So Habakkuk, use your table of contents if you need to. If you're using the Bible app, then you've got it made in the shade because you can just click on Habakkuk and go straight there. Uh, We're going to be reading this morning from Habakkuk chapter 2. This is our our text to begin. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Let's begin. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, the proud man, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as this morning you would give us insight into it. Lord, give us spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to understand and discern what your word is saying, not just for people at that time, but what it is saying for us today. Lord, we want to be not just hearers of your word. We want to be doers of your word. We want to have this word, this living word, come and impact our lives, impact our hearts and our minds, and change the way we live moving forward. So, Lord, we ask that uh, this would be just an impactful time of hearing from you, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an experience that caused you to question your faith? Have you ever had an experience that caused you to doubt God? Have you ever had an experience that so rattled you, it so shook you up, that it caused you to question if God even exists? And maybe, maybe you said, well, I still believe that God exists, but maybe it, it was such a thing that happened to you, and it didn't cause you to doubt God's existence, but it did cause you to question God's character, where you started to wonder, is God really fair? Is God really loving? Does God really care? If you've ever had an experience like that, if you've ever asked those kinds of questions, you're not alone. You're actually in very good company. Did you know that a lot of people in the Bible ask those kinds of questions? And this morning, we're going to look at one of those people, one of those people who asked tough questions because he experienced some things and saw some things that caused him to doubt and caused him to question God and doubt his faith. That man's name was Habakkuk. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. And let me tell you this. If a prophet of God had questions, well then of course I'm guessing that many of us have questions as well too. We're currently doing a series called Remember the Prophets. This is what we're uh, doing this month in January and into February. The idea for the series comes from James chapter 5 verse 10 where James writes to us, he says, My friends, remember the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Take them as examples of patient endurance under suffering. So for the first couple weeks of this year, We are looking at some of the Old Testament prophets. We're doing exactly what James says. We're remembering the prophets and looking at them, not just at what they said in their prophecies, but specifically we're looking at who they were as individuals and people of faith. That's what James is so interesting. He doesn't just say, think about their prophecies. He says, remember who they were. Remember the lives of faith that they lived and think about how they are examples for us for how we live today. So the title of today's message is, uh, as we look at Habakkuk, is this, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. In this series, as we're going through the prophets, we are going through them chronologically, meaning like in the order that they happened historically. Now, something that can be really 
that can make reading the prophetic books in your Bible confusing or difficult is that as you're reading through the Bible, these books are not arranged in chronological order, meaning they're not arranged in the order that they happened historically. Rather, they're arranged in our Bibles by size and by theme, not by the order they happen in historically. And, and that can make reading them a little bit hard because it's, it's hard to keep up with the context. Okay, who, who, what does this match up with? Which king was at this time? And what was going on? And was this in the north or the south? And so in this series, what we're doing is to help you kind of understand it better, we are going through this, the prophets chronologically. Now, so far, we've looked at three prophets up until now. We looked at Amos, and we looked at Hosea, and then last week, we looked at Isaiah. And one thing that's important to remember as, as we study the prophets is that at this time, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. So whereas in the time of Saul, the first king of Israel, and David, and then Solomon, the nation was united under one kingdom with one king, after Solomon, Solomon's son, came in and there was a rebellion led by a guy named Jeroboam, and that resulted in the country being, or the nation being split into two kingdoms. The northern ten tribes split off and they formed a kingdom called the Kingdom of Israel. So they were in the north in the area of Samaria, Galilee, which you might recognize from reading the Gospels. And then the southern kingdom was the kingdom of Judah. So there was a smaller kingdom, two tribes only, and they were in the area in the south, which is mostly desert near the Dead Sea. That's where the city of Jerusalem is at. And so the nation was divided into these two kingdoms. And as we've seen, so Hosea and Amos preached in the northern kingdom of Israel, whereas Isaiah preached in the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, something that happened during the time of Isaiah, which is important to note, is that in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire attacked and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Assyrians carried the people of the northern kingdom away into captivity and they repopulated Samaria with Assyrian people. That's why in the New Testament, you read that the Jewish people didn't really like the Samaritans. The reason is because they were repopulated from Assyria. So they were kind of mixed people there. So where we pick up the story today, here's what's important to remember. There are no longer two kingdoms. There is now only one kingdom left, the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom. That's where Jerusalem is at. Now, part of the reason why the southern kingdom didn't experience the judgment that the northern kingdom did at that time is because the leaders of the southern kingdom actually listened when God spoke. So the, the leaders of the southern kingdom, uh, some of them were godly, and when the prophets spoke to them, like Isaiah spoke to them, and the southern leaders actually heeded the words of the prophets, and they did repent of their wicked ways. They got rid of injustice. They put an end to the worship of foreign gods, which included things like ritual prostitution and human sacrifices, even sacrificing children on altars. And they got rid of those things because God had told them through the prophets to do so. Specifically, there were two periods of reform that took place in uh, that southern kingdom of Judah. The first one was under King Hezekiah. Now that happened during the time of Isaiah. So that's King Hezekiah. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. The other big reform, and the one that's important for us to think about today, was the reform of another king named Josiah. So Josiah, and you can read about him in 2 Kings 22 and 23, and 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. Now, here's what happened with Josiah. It says that Josiah, when he was 16 years old, he was still a teenager. And it says that he began to seek the Lord at age 16. 
And when he was 20 years old, Josiah ordered that the temple be remodeled. And in the course of remodeling the temple, a guy named Hilkiah stumbled on something which everybody uh, had kind of forgotten about and definitely neglected, and that was the Word of God. He found a Bible, right? The Book of the Law. Now, to give you some perspective, just think about that. Think about how far away from God the people of Judah had gotten at this point. They had actually put idols into the temple of God. And not only that, but they had neglected the Word of God, the Bible, so much that no one had even seen one in years. They didn't even know if there was still a Bible in Israel. That's how bad it was. Your Bible might have some dust on it, but this one had a lot of dust on it, right? Like it was under a pile of stuff. It's like when you're cleaning your house or when you move and you find all that stuff that you lost all those years ago. Well, they found the Bible, right? Like the only Bible in Israel, and they found it. And so they rediscovered the word of God in the time of Josiah. And Josiah, being a godly man and wanting to, wanting to please the Lord, he opens up the book of the law and he reads it. And as he reads it, he weeps because he realizes just how far the people have gone away from the Lord and they've neglected his word. And so Josiah weeps and he says, you know what? We've got to change this. He reinstates the Passover and the other religious festivals of the Jews. And he orders the people that they need to get rid of all their idols and they need to keep the Passover. Passover, and they need to attend the festivals, and they did, which is great, right? I mean, it was a revival, or at least it seemed like a revival from the outside. But see, here's the thing about rules, right? You know the thing about laws, is that rules and laws can control behavior, but they don't change the heart. They don't regenerate the heart. They can, they can reform behavior, but they don't regenerate the heart. And, and so whereas laws and rules, you know, can, can control what we do, they can't control what's in our hearts. They can't change what's in our hearts. And so even though the people went to the festivals, even though they b began keeping the Passover, their hearts hadn't changed. They attended the services, but they didn't really respond to the Lord personally. And so God called several prophets at this time. Habakkuk was one of them. The others, in case you're interested, were Zephaniah and Jeremiah. We're going to talk about Jeremiah in our study next week. The other one, so Zephaniah, Jeremiah, and Habakkuk, all preaching in Judah around the same time. And they were all preaching to the people to, to not just turn to God because, you know, they had to go to these festivals, but to truly turn to God in their hearts. Not just outward religiosity, but genuine relationship with God. Well, pretty soon, King Josiah died. He died kind of an untimely death. He was killed in battle. And his son, Jehoiakim, became king. Now, Jehoiakim did not have the same heart for God that his father Josiah had had. He was an evil king, and during his reign, all of the reforms that Josiah had worked so hard to implement and bring back to the people, they were all reversed. And Israel, during this time, declined morally and spiritually. And at one point it was so bad that Jehoiakim took the words of the prophet Isaiah and he ripped them up into pieces and threw them in the fire. That's how much regard he had for the word of God. He threw those things in the fire. And you can imagine Habakkuk having seen this godly king, having seen these reforms that he tried to bring into the country, and then seeing him die an untimely death in battle, and then seeing his son come in and just be so wicked and, and so having such disregard, and seeing the moral decline and the spiritual decline in Israel, you can imagine that he had a lot of questions. He was asking questions like, why is God letting Jehoiakim get away with this stuff? And why did God let Josiah die? He was still a young man. And, and how is it that 
that people are doing terrible things and there's no repercussions for them. They're just getting away with it. Why, God? Why are you letting this happen? This isn't fair. Aren't you a God of justice? Well, where's the justice, God? Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything about this? Let me ask you, have you ever asked questions like that? I think that any honest thinking person, of course, has asked questions like that. And what's interesting about Habakkuk, which makes it unique and different from all the other prophetic books, is that whereas all the other books are messages that God spoke to people, Habakkuk is a, is a conversation that Habakkuk has with God, and Habakkuk's the one who starts. He's the one who starts talking to God, and God responds to him. And the reason the book of Habakkuk is important for me and you is a couple of reasons. Number one is this. It shows us that God cares about our questions. Do you know that? That God cares about your questions. And not only that, but he gives direction to us for how we should deal with our doubts. To deal, how we should deal with the struggles that we experience when it comes to faith. And so there are two things that we see Habakkuk go through in this book which we can relate to and which we can learn from. So two things that we can relate to and learn from when it comes to Habakkuk in this book. The first thing that Habakkuk does is he questions God. So that's the first thing we'll talk about is questioning God. And secondly, he comes to his determination that he's going to live by faith. So the two things that Habakkuk goes through that we can relate to and we can learn from are questioning God and determining a determination to live by faith. So let's begin by talking about this first one in the first chapter. We're going to talk about questioning God. In the first chapter of Habakkuk, Habakkuk asks God some tough questions. And as you're going to see, God is very patient and God responds to Habakkuk. It's been said that Habakkuk is a lot like, like the book of Job, for example, where Job is questioning God and saying, God, why are you letting these things happen? The difference with Habakkuk and Job is that in Habakkuk, God actually answers him, right? In Job, he's kind of like, hey, I'm the one who asked the questions, not you. But in Habakkuk, God's so patient with him that he actually answers his questions. So let's look first at Habakkuk's first question. The first verse begins by saying this, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And in some of your translations, it will actually say the burden that Habakkuk saw. Habakkuk had a burden. It wasn't just that he had a burden in the sense that he had a message from God that weighed on his heart, but it was a, it was a, a burden in the sense of he was weighed down and troubled by some questions. Here's his first question, starting in uh, verse 2. He says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or, you cry, or I cry to you, violence, and you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you Idly look at wrong. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Here's Habakkuk. And he's looking around at society. And he sees violence. He sees injustice. He sees crimes being committed on an individual level and on a societal, national level. And he asks God in heaven, God, why are you allowing this? What are you going to do about this, God? Now, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever seen injustice in your life or in the life of someone close to you? Have you ever seen people ripped off? Have you ever experienced uh, seeing people be abused or taken advantage of? See, there are so many things in our world today that would cause us to ask questions just like this one that Habakkuk asked. You see these, these laws with the late-term abortion practices, and you, you have to ask the question, 
God, are you really going to let this happen? Are you really going to let this happen? From time to time, I get an email from someone, uh, some, maybe someone from the church or someone who's, who listens to the radio program, and, and they'll say, I don't get it. Why would God allow this? And, and attached will be a news article about children's suffering or people being abused or racial injustice or brutal acts of violence against innocent people. Sometimes the questions we ask are spurred by personal experiences, right? Maybe uh, a loved one gets cancer, or maybe you experience injustice in your workplace. Habakkuk is confused. He's frustrated. He feels like he's been praying, but God hasn't been answering his prayers. He's praying, but nothing is changing. How many of you have had moments like that in your life where you say, I prayed, and nothing's happening. I feel like God's not even listening. In verse 2, Habakkuk says that he's been crying out to the Lord. And then he repeats that phrase, crying. And that word that's translated there, crying out, it can be translated also as screaming. In other words, have you ever seen something that made you want to scream? You scream out to God, what is this? And in verse 3, he says this. He says, Lord, why do you make me see this iniquity? In other words, I wish I didn't even have to see this stuff, God. And he says, but God, I see this stuff, and, and you apparently see it, but you just sit there idly, and you don't do anything about it. Habakkuk is questioning God's justice. He's questioning God's fairness. In a way, a real way, he is questioning God's character. He says, God, you say you're a good God, but I don't know. I mean, I think if you were a good God, if you really were a good God, you would do something. You would not let this go on. And in verse 5, God responds to Habakkuk's question. And here's God's response. Check it out. He says, Look at the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Now, you, you've probably heard the phrase, uh, it's something's too good to be true. Well, this is kind of the opposite of that. Uh, he's going to say, well, okay, you want me to tell you what I'm going to do? I am doing something but it's so bad that you wouldn't even believe it. Like it's going to be so awful, so terrible, that you would have trouble believing it. Check out what he says. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth and seized dwellings which are not their own. God tells the prophet Habakkuk, he says, Habakkuk, I do see everything that's going on down there, and I am going to do something about it. And Habakkuk's like, cool, yeah, great, I'm glad to hear that. Well, what's it going to be? What's the plan? And God says in verse 5, he's like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if you can handle this. And Habakkuk's like, try me, just let me have it, uh, I can take it. And he said, God says, okay, here it is, verse 6. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. You know who the Chaldeans are? That's another name for the Babylonians. The Babylonians and the Chaldeans. Babylon was the capital city of Chaldea. And the Babylonian Empire was there in Chaldea. So the Chaldeans are the Babylonians. And God is telling Habakkuk that he is raising up the Babylonians. And they will be his instrument of judgment upon Judea for all their evil and all their wickedness. About 30 years after Habakkuk had this conversation with God... That's exactly what happened. The Babylonians came in under Nebuchadnezzar. They attacked Judah. They conquered Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. And they carried the people off into exile. And what this tells us is that the Babylonians were raised up by God and sent by God to do this thing. Now, it's not like the Babylonians didn't want to do it. Like, they also wanted to do it. But they wouldn't have been able to do it if God hadn't allowed them to. Now, on the one hand... Habakkuk is relieved, right, to hear that God does see what's happening and God is going to do something. 
But now he's maybe more disturbed, right? Like before he was disturbed that God wasn't doing anything. And now he's disturbed because of the way that God's going to do this, right? Because like Judah is wicked and idolatrous, but Babylon is even more wicked and idolatrous. And so in chapter 1, verses 7 through 11, God actually goes into more detail. He describes how the Babylonians, uh, how terrible and dreadful they are. And in verse 11, he says, they are guilty men whose might is in their God. In other words, the Babylonians are bad people. And when they conquer other nations, they give credit and glory to their pagan Babylonian gods. And so Habakkuk hears this and you can imagine he's like, uh, well, that's not exactly what I had in mind, right? God, like God, I wanted you to get the glory. I don't want some Babylonian gods to get the glory. Well, why, would, why would you let these awful people conquer Judah and then they're going to give credit to their pagan gods? How is that fair? Right? In verses 12 through 17, Habakkuk is then again questioning God's actions once again. This is his second question. At first, Habakkuk was disturbed because God wasn't doing anything, but now he's disturbed because of what God is doing, right? Like the way that God is going to judge them through the Babylonians who are more wicked than the people of Judah. And this would be kind of like if we cried out to God and we said, God, there's so many problems in our society. God, there's so much wickedness in our country. And God says, yeah, you're right. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up communist China and have them take over America. And that'll be the judgment on America. And you'd be like, well, that's not exactly what we had in mind, right? Like it kind of feels like the solution is even worse than the problem we started with. These are the issues that Habakkuk is dealing with. And really they're issues that all of us deal with. Because, see, these are the problems which naturally come as a result of having faith. Do you know that? That these are the problems which naturally come as a result of having faith. If you are a thinking person, you will inevitably grapple with these kinds of questions. And here's why. Because we know on the one hand that there is a righteous God. And if you believe that there's a righteous God who is all-powerful and who cares about what happens on earth and cares about us, then sometimes you're going to be troubled. You're going to be troubled because you're going to look around and you're going to see things that just don't add up to you. And you're going to wonder, well, if God could intervene, then why doesn't he? Or if God could have prevented this from happening, why didn't he? And in many cases, God doesn't explain himself to us. We don't always know what God is doing in the big scheme of things. And so what can we do in those cases? Well, starting in chapter 2, Habakkuk is going to, he's going to continue this dialogue with God, but he's going to make a determination. He's going to make a determination that he is going to live by faith based on what he knows about who God is. Based on what he knows about who God is, he's going to make a determination to live by faith. He says, hey, look, since I can't see the whole picture, since I can only see a little sliver of reality, I'm going to choose to, to trust in God. And here's the thing. We have to ask ourselves that question too. Are, are we going to presume that we know enough that we are qualified to pass judgment on God? That we're qualified to make a, an accurate determination about whether what God does or doesn't do or what God allows or doesn't allow, if that's good or bad? See, we just don't know enough. To do so would be absolutely presumptuous on our part. And so obviously that would be unwise. And, and so 
the best thing we can do is to fall back on what we already know about who God is and choose to trust him in light of that. So that's what we see happening starting in chapter 2, which brings us to our second big point here, which is this, a determination to live by faith, a determination to live by faith. After making his complaint known to God, Habakkuk says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So that's, that's how the New King James translates this verse, and I like that, and I'll explain why. He says not only what God's going to say to me, he, it, it kind of gives the nuance that God is actually going to correct uh, Habakkuk's wrong thinking. And I just want you to notice that in what Habakkuk says here. First of all, he says, I'm going to wait. And then again in verse 4, God says, or verse 3, God says, I want you to wait, right? You be patient and wait. Rather than jumping to conclusions, rather than making rash judgments, I want you to wait for me to reveal a little bit more and reveal the answer to this question. Now let me just say, that's a wise thing for you and me to do when we grapple with questions about faith. Sometimes we just need to, to wait and give it a little time. Secondly, Habakkuk says that he expects God to correct him. So this is his attitude. He's saying, God, look, I'm just being honest. This is how I feel. I feel like screaming. I don't understand. But God, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. That is a great attitude. That is a noble attitude. He's saying, God, I'm struggling, but please speak to me and correct me if my thinking is wrong. You know what? There are two kinds of doubt. You know that, right? There are two kinds of doubt. I would call the one doubt is honest doubt, and the other kind of doubt is a scoffing doubt, right? So you can be honest, you can have honest doubt, or you can have scoffing doubt. Now anybody, like I said, who thinks seriously about God and thinks seriously about living in this world and actually has eyes and looks around them, you're going to sometimes struggle with honest doubts. And here's the thing, God does not ask you to check your brain at the door and just nod and, and just believe and don't ask any questions. No, God welcomes those questions. We see that. We're here with Habakkuk. God doesn't chastise Habakkuk for asking these questions. Habakkuk genuinely wants to know, and he comes with a humble heart that says, God, this is how I feel. I might be wrong, and if I am, please correct me. This honest doubt is like the man who came to Jesus. Do you remember this guy? He came to Jesus and Jesus asked him, do you believe? And the man said, yes, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. See, he wanted to believe. In fact, he did believe, but there were areas where he was still struggling with doubt. He had honest doubts. And he says, God, help me with my unbelief. And throughout the Bible, we see that God is so patient towards people who have honest doubts. You know, you think about doubting Thomas. I always feel kind of bad for the guy, right? Because he got like labeled with this doubting before his name. We never just call him Thomas, right? Like he's like, can you guys switch me back to Thomas? Because I stopped doubting now. I'm good. And he, we're like, no, we call you doubting Thomas. That's it forever. And doubting Thomas, I feel kind of bad for the guy. Because if you think about it, the reason he doubted was not a terrible reason, was it? Why did doubting Thomas doubt? He doubted because he didn't want to believe in something that wasn't true. Is that, I mean, that's how I feel. Isn't that how you feel? I don't want to just believe in something that's not true. I don't want to believe in myths and fairy tales. I want to believe in the truth. And, and I actually respect Thomas for that. And Jesus comes and he's very patient with him. And he says, blessed are you, Thomas, for now you see and you believe. But how much more blessed are those who will not see and yet they will believe. Jesus was patient with him. 
Jesus helped him work through his doubts and into faith because they were honest doubts. And as soon as Thomas saw the evidence, he was quick to believe. He stopped doubting. But there's another kind of doubt. There's a doubt that's cynical, right? A doubt that scoffs. A doubt that says, Psh, whatever, like I don't care and, and whatever. This is dumb. And, and whereas God has so much patience for honest doubt, scoffing doubt is a whole different story. And God can handle your honest questions. I want you to know that. So bring your questions, but bring them with humility, like we see Habakkuk did here. In, in verse 2 of chapter 2, uh, God responds to Habakkuk again to the second question. Here's what he says. Habakkuk, write the vision down, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. Who's he talking about now? The king of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, who we know is Nebuchadnezzar. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So God is going to tell Habakkuk what's going to happen. So far, God has told Habakkuk that he's going to raise up the Chaldeans to attack Judah as a judgment for their wickedness. But now, God is going to tell Habakkuk that he's also going to judge the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and he's going to judge them for their wickedness, right? So, so at first, Jose, or Habakkuk's like, hey, God, uh, why aren't you doing anything about this? And God's like, I am going to do something about this. Don't worry. I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge Judah. And he's like, well, wait, aren't the Babylonians bad guys? And now God says, yes, and I'm going to judge them too. Just be patient and wait for it. Everybody's going to get judged in due time is basically what he's saying. So for the rest of chapter two, God tells Habakkuk how after the Babylonians bring judgment on Judah, he's going to use another nation to bring judgment on the Babylonians. And we know historically that that did happen. About 50 years after the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem, God sent the Medes and the Persians, and they conquered the Babylonians. And we'll get to all that as we study through the prophets, because we see that the prophets go through this whole time period. In chapter 2, verse 2, God tells Habakkuk to record this conversation. So I want you to write it down, and here's why. Because these things that he's talking about, they aren't going to happen for decades until at decades after this conversation. And God wants people to have a record of this, to know that he said that these things would happen. First of all, to show that he is in control of all things. He's providentially working in history. But also, so that people will rest in the knowledge that God does see what's happening on earth, and he is going to act, and injustice and evil will not win the day. Now, there's a very important principle in here, and that's this. God says this. He says, uh, with God, here's the principle, with God, silence is not absence. Do you know that? That with God, silence is not absence. We see that here in Habakkuk. Sometimes when God seems most silent, that is when he is doing some of his most profound work. Right? So when God seems absent in your life, sometimes that's when he's actually doing his most profound work behind the scene. Habakkuk asks, where is God in my situation? God says, hey, I've been here the whole time. I'm working out a plan, which is much bigger than you ever realized, Habakkuk. It's bigger than the way you're thinking. And, and I want you to apply that to your own life. Where is God in your situation, in the things that you're struggling with, in the questions that you're asking? Where is he if he seems silent? And the answer to that is the same. He is right there. He is with you. And he might just be working out something which is so much bigger than you ever thought or realized. 
And so as he says to Habakkuk, the same is true for us. Let us be patient and let us trust in what we know about who God is in light of the things that we don't see or understand right now. And he says this very important phrase in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And he contrasts that with the proud man who trusts in himself. And he's so confident, yet he's going to come to ruin. The righteous person, on the other hand, Rather than trusting in themselves, they trust in the Lord. They live by the principle of faith. In context, what that means is that Habakkuk is to live his life in faith. Faith in what he knows to be true about who God is. Not just his feelings, not just his circumstances, but to live by faith in who he knows that God is. Now this is helpful and it's important because it gives us a framework for how to deal with crisis in our lives and questions that we have. What do you do when you have a question? Well, here's what he says. Here's how we should respond to those events and experiences which shake our faith. First of all, stop and think. But don't just think about the problem. Here's what you need to do. You need to think beyond the problem. You need to go back further than the problem to God himself. And you need to remind yourself of those things which you know to be true about God and his character. That he's true, he's good, he's loving, he's kind, and he is sovereign. And so then what you do is you remind yourself of those truths, of who you know God to be, and you apply those truths now to that situation and you begin to look at that situation in a whole new way. Well, because I know these things are true about God, that becomes the lens through which I now think about that problem or that issue. And finally, the last step is we hand that thing over to God in faith. Because here's the thing. Sometimes you won't know the answer. Sometimes you won't get the answer. And so whether we get the answer or not, we decide I will, I'm determined to live by faith. This phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, it speaks of a principle which is found throughout the Bible. That the way to be right with God is not by our own efforts or by earning it by our own good works, but it's by faith, simply believing God's promise that he alone can save. One of the things we learn throughout the Bible is that like the people of Judah, God is righteous and we are unrighteous. We have fallen short of God's perfect standards. We have done things that we shouldn't have done. We have worshipped things that we shouldn't have worshipped. We worship things other than God. And so whereas God is righteous, we are unrighteous. And therefore, just like Judah, we also deserve judgment. And there is nothing we can do to fix that problem, right? We've stepped across that line, and there's no going back. Once you've crossed over uh, and become unrighteous, you can't go back on your own. But the good news is this, that God loves you, and he offers a way for you to become righteous again. What he offers is that he will give you his righteousness as a gift. Now that's cool, right? So so the question is, how do we get that gift? What do you have to do to earn that gift? Well, here's the deal. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. You have to receive it as a gift, and you receive it by faith. Now you might say, well, wait a second. Faith in what exactly? Like, what am I actually having faith in? Is it just faith that, that God exists, or faith that Jesus was who the Bible says he was? Well, it's, it's not exactly that. See, when, when Habakkuk wrote this vision, people didn't yet know the details of how God was going to save them. 
It was a little bit fuzzy. Uh, they, they knew a few things. They knew that God was going to do something, that it would be God's work and not something that they could do for themselves. And the one thing they knew is that God was going to do this work of salvation, of taking away their sins and making them righteous again. He was going to do it through the Messiah. The Messiah was this promised king who, who God had been foretelling for generations would come and he would put an end to the curse of sin and death on the earth and he would make us righteous so we could be united with God once again and we would receive that by faith. Now today we know the details, right? We know that that was Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. We know that he lived a truly righteous life and he died a sacrificial death on our behalf. He rose on the third day from the grave. He ascended into heaven and he will one day return to judge the living and the dead. And the way to be made right with God is through faith in God's saving actions through Jesus. And what that means, what it means to have faith in Jesus isn't just to believe that he was a real person who actually existed. Everybody, nobody doubts that. Like, no historians doubt that that was true. But what it means to have faith in Jesus is something more than that. It means to trust in, to rely on, to cling to who he is and what he did to save you. To trust in, rely on, and cling to him. Not trusting in yourself, in other words. It means that you're no longer trusting in yourself, but you're trusting in God that what Jesus did is what saves you. And when you do that, the Bible uses this term for it. It says that you are justified. You are justified, which means that God makes you righteous. God makes you righteous so you can be reconciled to him. And rather than judgment, you can have a relationship with your maker, with the sovereign one of the universe who welcomes us in and even goes to the extent of calling us friends. I mean, imagine how crazy that is. The righteous shall live by faith. This verse, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, it's quoted three times in the New Testament. Romans, in Galatians, in Hebrews. And this principle is very important. The, the word gospel means good news. And this principle right here is what makes the gospel good news. See, see, if it was up to you and me to earn it, to earn our right standing with God, I would never be able to do that, and neither could you. See, God is too holy, and our shortcomings are too many. But here's the deal. If it's a gift, if it's a gift, then that's actually good news. Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. And he lived in the 1500s, early 1500s, in Germany. And at one point, Martin Luther was on a pilgrimage to Rome. And at that time, you know, you couldn't fly. You couldn't take a train or a bus. He was on a pilgrimage to Rome, and he had to walk. And to go from Germany to Italy, you have to cross the Alps by foot. And so he almost died. He got sick crossing the Alps, and he almost died. Uh, he became deathly ill. And all, even though he was a monk who, who had devoted his life to prayer and to serving God, when he was faced with death, he was terrified. He was absolutely terrified. And he was scared because he wasn't sure if he had done enough to go to heaven. And, you know, he had tried. He had tried to get rid of all his sins. He had tried to cleanse himself. But no matter how hard he tried, even if it was just in his thoughts and his attitudes, he felt that he could not stop sinning. And just when he thought he'd made some progress, he would sin again. And he felt like, wow, I cannot be good enough. I keep failing. And if I die, I'm probably going to go to hell. So faced with death, he was so afraid, he didn't know if he would go to heaven but here's what happened. He didn't die on that trip. In fact, he recovered. He went on to Rome. And one day when he was in Rome on this pilgrimage, the words of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 came to his mind. 
the righteous shall live by faith. And here's what he wrote in his own journal about that moment. Here's what he said. Before those words broke upon my mind, I hated God and was angry with him because not just content with frightening us sinners by the law and by the miseries of life, he still further increased our torture by the gospel. But when the, by the Spirit of God I understood those words, the just shall live by faith, then I felt born again like a new man and I entered through open doors into the very paradise of God. What Luther realized in that moment is that the message of the gospel is that we cannot earn our way into right standing with God. We cannot earn our way into heaven, but it is a gift that Jesus earned for us. And by trusting in him and what he did, we can receive that gift of God's righteousness. And here's the deal. If you have that hope, you can be confident if, even in the face of death. You can face death with so much confidence knowing that Jesus did enough for you to be saved. But here's the last thing I'll say. This faith in God, it doesn't just give us confidence in the face of death. It also gives us confidence in the face of life. In chapter 3, Habakkuk responds to what God has said, and he makes a declaration of, hate, of faith. He is determined to live by faith, no matter what this life might bring, because of who he knows God to be. And look at this bold statement he makes at the end of the book, in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3. He says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What is he describing here? He's describing complete and, and, and total economic failure. He's talking about losing everything. See, to put that in terms that we would use today, it's like he's saying, even if I lose my job, and I lose my house, and I lose my car, and I lose my savings, and all I've got left is a couple bucks in my pants pocket, and then somebody steals my pants, and I lose that too. Still, I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's making a bold declaration that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what circumstances he faces, even death, but not just death, he knows that he is going to be confident knowing who God is. In what he knows about who God is, even if the most devastating things might happen to us, he is making this declaration of faith ahead of time. No matter what happens, he has confidence because he knows who God is. He knows God's character and he can rest in that. He will choose to trust in that, even when he doesn't understand what's happening around him. Even when he doesn't understand God's plan, he knows who God is and that God is working all things for good and for his ultimate glory. So in conclusion, here's what we see with Habakkuk. He started out wrestling with God and he ends up worshiping God. He started out wrestling and he ends up worshiping. Habakkuk got some of his questions answered, but there are some questions which still remain, aren't there? I mean, there's still injustice in the world today. Uh, there are still some big questions which remain unanswered. There's still violence. There's still hatred. How can God allow these things to go on? The answer to that question is actually not found in Habakkuk itself. The answers to those questions are found in the one to whom Habakkuk points. Jesus Christ is the resolution of all of Habakkuk's complaints. Jesus came in order to make us right with God, but he also came, the gospel also tells us this, he came, ultimately one day he will return 
And he will put an end to all injustice, all suffering. He will put an end to evil. He will bring about a new heavens and a new earth where those who have been declared righteous by faith will be brought together with God forever. And in that place, there will be no more sickness, no more tears, no more death, no more violence. There will be perfect peace and overwhelming joy forever. You see, all of those things that our hearts long for, that resonate with all of us, those are available to us in and through Jesus Christ, by faith in him. And so I want to encourage you today, trust in him, cling to him, rely on him, and may his kingdom come. Amen? Lord, we are encouraged as we read Habakkuk's declaration of faith. And Lord, I pray that we too would make such a declaration today, where we would say, you know, no matter what circumstances come into my life, uh, whether I, I experience tragedy or whether I experience abundance, Lord, I make a determination now to trust in you because of who we know that you are. Lord, would you help us to, to live in that place with that kind of determination that comes by faith. Lord, help us that we truly would live by faith. And thank you, Lord, that you declare us righteous in Jesus, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. We remember that. We celebrate it as we go from here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.